Hey, what's up? This is Jason from Centerpoint Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee. We're so excited to spend some time with you today. We hope that this message inspires you and makes you continue living life on purpose and for a purpose. Let's jump right into the message. Welcome everybody who's watching online. I know that there's people that tune in from all over the place. And some of you medically have issues that you cannot be here physically in person yet. But for those of in the house, I want to tell you, this is our first time as a body of believers since 2019 on Easter Sunday. God is still alive. Come on, he's risen. So we're going to talk today about Jesus, in case you didn't know what the subject was going to be. But, but we know Resurrection Sunday. But if you don't know the heart of Jesus then Resurrection Sunday may not be true. And it may not have nearly as much value. It may just be a guy who did something good for you. You know, like when you go to a restaurant and somebody pays for your meal. If you don't know the heart of Jesus, then you won't understand the depth of Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. And so today, we're going to go back a little bit, and I want to show you the heart of Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 11 during our time today. But why is this so important? This is important because you came in here with things going on in your life. Some of you came in here broken, hanging on by a thread. Marriage isn't in, a great, sh- in great shape. You're mad at God for something that he did or did not do. Maybe you're walking in here and, and, and this is not, this is your first Easter without a loved one who was here last year. And so I can't help but ask myself, what does Easter have to do with me and my problems and my burdens and what I'm going through? And you won't fully understand it unless you understand the heart of God. And so we're going to spend some time today talking about Jesus, and it's going to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit and let you know a little more of who he is. So this story is going to take place in a town called Bethany. It's approximately 30 days, roughly, before Jesus' own death, burial, and resurrection. And Bethany was an important town because it was right outside of Jerusalem. And so it was just a natural spot where you would stop. And Scripture does something that's really unique. Scripture tells us about a family that Jesus has a close relationship with. Now, we have passages all over of, for God so loved the world. And we know he was close to his disciples. And we know a hand few of other people. But rarely does Scripture go out of its way to tell us this is a family that Jesus had a connection with. But this is. And there's three people in this family you need to know. And, and, and it's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, when I read the Bible, I can't help but think about these people. They're not static. Like, I'm thinking about them as real people, so I apply personalities to them. Sometimes I take different movie stars and say, well, this person would probably play this person in the Bible. Like, I just can't help it. And so let me describe Martha, Mary, and Lazarus to you so that this story can come alive because it's the living word of God. So we have Martha, and Martha is a doer. She's like a shark. She can never stay still. Some of you are Marthas. Like after you eat this afternoon, some of you will be watching TV, and, and Martha will be in there doing the dishes and just looking at you like, I cannot believe you're going to sit there on that lazy boy. I heard you snoring. There's work to do. Like that's Martha. It's a busybody. Then we have Mary. 
And Mary's kind of like Peter pre-Pentecost, like super emotional, probably reads a lot of Nicholas Sparks books. Like she's just follows her emotions wherever she goes. And that's kind of Mary. And we're going to see, see an element of that. But Mary has a deep, deep, strong love for Jesus. Then we have Lazarus. And Lazarus is like the kid brother. I guarantee he has like that Letterman jacket and he's got basketball and football. He doesn't have golf, Thomas, because that's not a real sport. But, but he's got all of the different patches and, and, and he probably has some fantastic hair, fresh fade all the time, pearly white teeth. Like that's Lazarus. And what scripture sets up for us is that Jesus is right outside of Bethany and Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, and they simply say, the one you love is sick. You see, Mary and Martha, they're about to face a crisis like you and I do, and they know that Jesus is just right over there. So they're going to send word to him because surely he will drop whatever he's doing, and he'll come save Lazarus. That's what Jesus does. You ever lost your kids in a grocery store before? You shook your head no. You're like 10 years old. Have you ever lost your, your kids? I hope not. In the grocery store, like, you're going to drop whatever you're doing. You're going to leave your cart. You're going to forget all of that other stuff. You're going to find your kid. That's what they're expecting Jesus to do. But Jesus waits two days. And now Lazarus is dead. He was just right there. You could have you come over here, but you didn't. And now Mary and Martha are facing a crisis because the golden child, Lazarus, has died. And here we are. John chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. How many days? That's going to be important. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed home. Underline that phrase, but Mary stayed home. Let's unpack this for just a moment. So four days is important, and I can't help but think that maybe this is partly why Jesus was waiting. Four days is important because culturally, there was Jewish mysticism, not scripture, but it was a common belief at the time that the body, the spirit, would hover around that body for three days. And if you wailed hard enough, if you cried loud enough, you could convince that spirit to come back into the body. But not four days. By four days, they say that your face is unrecognizable. The decay process starts, so the gases are released in the body. It actually bloats to almost double in size. Don't Google image it. It's nasty. And the smell is putrid. By four days, we've started to reach rapid decomposition. You are headed towards skeletal structure. Four days. It is impossible for someone after four days to be brought back because the body is completely decrepit at that point. So we have four days. Martha, she goes to meet Jesus because Jesus shows up now, late, I might add. And I imagine that this is how Martha walked out to meet Jesus, like you act when you find your kid. Not the first moment and when you lose them because you're like, oh, and then what do you do? Why on earth did you? Like that's where Martha is right now. Martha's a doer. So Martha sees Jesus over there. This is how I can't, I, I, I imagine her. Jesus, 
we've got something to talk about. You know, like probably called him by his first and middle name. Mm-hmm. And then that's probably where we are right now. And, and Martha comes over and she's going to voice her frustration to Jesus. Can I tell you, Jesus is never intimidated when you voice your frustration to him. But look what Mary did. Mary stayed home. Why? Unmet expectation. See, in her mind, Jesus is supposed to answer your prayers when you answer them and how you ask for them, when, he, when you want them answered and how you ask for them. And if he doesn't, we start to question his sovereignty, which is a fancy seminary word for his knowledge, his power. And, and Mary stayed home. This is the phrase I want you to hover over for a while. Don't stay home. Don't stay home. And I know what you're thinking. I think I didn't stay home. Well, I'm here, preacher. Some of you physically are here, yes. Oh, but you stayed home a long time ago. What did you stay home on? Prayer? Praying for healing in a certain area? A wound to now turn into a scar? Emotionally, you stayed home? Stayed home on your marriage? For me, if I could be transparent, pull back my ribcage, show you my heart for a minute. I've got immediately fam- immediate family members that don't know the Lord. And a while ago, I used to pray every single day for their salvation. And in time, I stayed home in my prayer life. Don't stay home. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Mary stayed home. Let's pick up to 21 now. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, feel her emotion dripping off the page, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will do whatever you ask. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again on the resurrection of the last day. So she's thinking in the future, one day he will rise again. And this is all a setup. For a crowd of people around for Jesus to deliver this line. Listen to this. This is powerful. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even though they die, they will live. Can I get an amen? And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You see, Mary and Martha, they they, they were thinking micro. Jesus was thinking macro. They were thinking about, I needed this prayer answered on this one little thing because our prayer life really goes crisis to crisis, right? You go through a hard time, that's when you start praying. When you get the promotion, when you get the nice car, when everything's going good and your wife and you are getting along, like that's when our prayer life kind of fades a little bit. And Jesus is thinking macro because here we are 2,000 years later still talking about this on Easter Sunday. But just in our first service, we had... Five, six people, I couldn't see all of them from the lights, give their life to the Lord for the first time. Jesus is thinking macro. But Mary stayed home because her expectations weren't met. That's why we're taking the time today to really know the heart of Jesus. Can I, can I take you on a journey? Thank you for the three people that said yes. If you don't say yes, I'm going to tell the story twice. Can I take you on a journey? I'm going to take you back to the glory days, the pinnacle of my physical fitness, 1997. 
my typical Friday night on a 1997 is I would borrow my parents' Astro minivan. Stop by Pizza Hut. It was a brand new thing called stuffed crust. Changing the world, y'all. Stuffed crust. Cheese in the crust. You serious? It's the first time you've clapped in any of my messages, just so you know. Swing by this magical, beautiful place. The carpet may remind you. It was called Blockbuster. Give myself a VHS, Nick. You have a hard time spelling VHS. You don't even know nothing about VHS. You're disgustingly young. That was a wild night. Super Nintendo, bro, you can, land, you can, you can ride on Yoshi. It's unbelievable. I come home on this Friday night, stuffed crust, blockbuster, Yoshi, no self-esteem. My dad says, son, we got the World Wide Web at our house. Now, for those of you under the age of 30, that's what the www dot stands for, the World Wide Web, the information superhighway. And in 1997, I had a gateway computer, and my dad said, you can go on here, and you can do anything. And I'm like, I can't wait. So I clicked connect. 20 minutes later, I was on the World Wide Web. <laughs> my gosh, listen, I'm going to have nightmares just hearing that sound. Some of y'all know nothing. It's your Wi-Fi, your fast internet coffee shops. I had AOL. Carmen, that stands for America Online. Jen Hines, you still have an AOL email address. That's incredible. Keep living that dream, girl. Listen to that REO Speedwagon and rock that AOL. Come on. Love it. One of my classmates comes to me the next week and he's like, hey, guess what? I got a friend and she's single. And here's her email address. And I said, oh, tell me more. What is an email? It's this thing called electronic mail. That's what the E stands for. You can send her a message, and you don't even have to know her address. You don't have to give her your address in case she's a creep. She can't knock at your front door, and you can send it to her, and it'll be there within seconds. You don't have to pay for a stamp, and your parents don't even have to know about it because, like, I know if I gave that envelope to my mom, she's slicing that bad boy open, reading in the letter before she puts it back in the mailbox. I know you did. I see you back there. So... So I send Stephanie an email, and I say this, one letter at a time. How you doing? I don't know if it came across that way when she read it, but I'm sure it did. I was going through my mind, right? And she responded, Adam, she responded in pink font. That's how you know she's fine. Pink font. And we correspond back and forth for the next couple of months. Now, I promise you it was innocent, but here's what I discovered. I could create any version of myself I wanted to. I told her I look like Brad Pitt. Why are you laughing? So I look more like an armpit. I told her I was the quarterback of my team. I played soccer. I wasn't even a starter. I told her I could grow a beard. Megan, I still can't grow a beard, even right now. Everything was going great until she sends me an email. I says, hey, you know how you live in Sacramento? I got a grandma that lives in Sacramento, and I'm coming to visit her in two weeks. I'd love to meet you. This is going to be a problem. 
because I have two weeks to get buff, try out for the football team, be starting quarterback, grow a beard, and get better looking. I believe that all things can happen through God, Corlett, but that's (laughs) stretching it. So I did what anybody would do. I never responded to her again. Now, she's probably somewhere right now talking to her friends, and she's probably like, when I was in high school, I met the one. He looked like Brad Pitt. (laughs) He just disappeared. I don't know what happened to him. He probably died a hero, and I just, I lost the one. But, but I knew that if she showed up, she would see this, and, and her expectations of what she thought I looked like, what she heard I was, wasn't going to be accurate. And Mary and Martha are facing the same thing, unmet expectations. Some of you have stayed home because God hasn't acted like a genie in a lamp. He didn't come out and grant you your three wishes right off the bat. Why? Because we think micro. God thinks macro. Either you believe that his ways are above your ways or you don't. And it's easy when life is good, but you want to know who you really are? What comes out of you when you're squeezed? Verse 27. This is Martha. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. That's a big statement. Verse 28, after she she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. Listen, this is my favorite part. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. Do you hear that? Do you want to know the heart of God? Mary gave up on God, but Jesus never gave up on Mary. Do you hear that? He pursued her and called her by name, my king will always pursue imperfect people. He will always go after people and call them by name. People are the the priority. Look no further than what Jesus did. He would go three days out of his way to talk to one woman at a well at the world discarded and cast aside. That's the heart of Jesus. The teacher is here. And he's asking for you. Let's see what Mary does. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. This is the heart of Jesus. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, they replied. Verse 35, shortest verse in all of the Bible, but arguably very, very, one of the more powerful ones. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Now, we're going to hover over that for just a moment. Let's unpack that. Jesus wept. Now, I remember when I was young, I I really wanted dinner, and uh, my mom said I had to have a Bible verse memorized before I came down to eat, and it was like, listen, it was hamburger helper night, y'all. I ain't messing around on some cheeseburger macaroni. Guess what verse, Thomas, I came down memorized with memorized. Jesus wept with all of the sarcasm that a middle schooler could have. But why would he weep? Not cry, not kind of sniffle a little bit, weep. Why would he do this? We really need to understand this to understand the heart of Jesus and how he views you and I when we go through difficult circumstances. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I picture God 
Of course, when we all picture God, we usually picture him looking kind of like a skinny Santa Claus, and he's sitting in like this gold throne up in the third heaven, and he speaks in King James, and that's just kind of, but, but God, through the Holy Spirit, can have an intimate relationship with each and every one of us, and I want to know what does he think when I go through difficult times? Is he saying, oh, ye of little faith? And, and we can find out right here in these two words, Jesus wept. Now, why would Jesus weep? Is it because of Lazarus? Because one of his good, good, close friends died? Well, no, because if you go back earlier in Scripture, he said he's, he's going to die, but this won't end in death. So he knew he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead, so it had nothing to do with that. I think there's two reasons why. If we take it back to the Greek, the word that is strategically used is creating this picture of mourning, but it's mixed in with just a subtlety of anger, which is unusual, right? I wouldn't think that. It, it, it's sometimes used in, the, in how they would describe the snorting of horses, war horses, before they would go to battle. And so that's mixed in, obviously, with mourning and deep emotion. It's a heavy word. So why is he acting this way? I, I, I think two reasons. The first one, I think that he is looking around at Mary and Martha, people that he care about, cares deeply about, and he's seeing the pain that death is causing them. He sees the crowd of their family all around and just the hopelessness that they have right now because at the time, death was the most powerful weapon that the enemy had. It was hopeless. And I can't help but think Jesus is filled with emotion as he's looking around at this broken world and he's thinking it was never supposed to be this way. You weren't supposed to feel that. That wasn't supposed to be done to you. But here we are. I think Jesus cares deeply for how you and I feel when we go through things. Be like Martha. Don't be afraid to tell Jesus when you're frustrated, angry, mad. Don't be like Mary. Don't stay home. The other reason I think that he's feeling this emotion is because culturally, they would hire what is called professional mourners. Any of you like very emotional and you like chick flicks and you can cry easily, this is the job for you. That's right, amen. You would get hired to go to funerals and just cry and make a spectacle. Why would anybody want to do that? Because if you died and there were a ton of people at your funeral and they were all super sad you were gone, it would make you look fantastic and it would help your family out. If you have a funeral and nobody shows up, it's not good. So Mary and Martha had hired professional mourners to come in, and they were playing instruments, and they were mourning, which is how the pagans did it. But they're not pagans. And I can't help but think of Jesus looking around and thinking, Mary and Martha, you know me. You know my heart. And a moment that one thing doesn't go the way that you think it should on the timeline that you think it should, how quickly you lose faith in me. You'll stand right here and say, you know that I'm the son of God, but your actions don't show it. Jesus wept. It's the same way that you see Jesus weeping for Jerusalem. And he's saying, oh, Jerusalem, how it was never supposed to be this way up to this point. Death was the most powerful weapon of the enemy. But it's about to change. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. 
Now, this should sound very familiar. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Oh, he's trying to show the crowd, you're going to see this again in 30 days, but it's going to be even more powerful. It's called foreshadowing. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So Martha is praying and begging for Jesus to come do something, and then when he shows up to do it, she tries to talk him out of it. Because she says, no, 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 no. It smells, there's decay, it's bad. You don't want to go there, Jesus. What a conflicting prayer. Stinky micro. What does that have to do with you? Because we do this with God. We ask for healing. We ask to have healthy marriage. But for us to get to that healthy marriage, for us to get to that answer of your prayer, we got to go back to the beginning of the original wound and get some healing there. But often those are the places that we say, no, Jesus, too painful, too ugly, too shameful. You don't want to go there. It's easier if we pretend if this doesn't exist. Can you just raise it to life and answer my prayer without having to put in this, this healing? This is what we do. I've got a friend of mine. I, and he gave me his permission to share this a while ago. And, uh, and he's a big guy. I mean, like, y'all think I'm big and built. This guy is big. That's not funny. This guy is big and he's built. He's got tattoos. He drives a Jeep like that. <laughs> I drive an Acura. Like, that should tell you everything you need to know. And, and, and he's sitting in my office and I'm like, hey, we need to get you plugged in. You've been coming to church here for a while. Why don't you help out a student ministry? I was a youth pastor at the time. And uh, he said, no, no, I can't do that. And he begins weeping. Right there in my office. Now, I don't do very well with, like, highly emotional people. And so, like, when I see a dude start just crying in my office, I'm like, you okay? <laughs> there's tissues? Like, just don't touch me because there's mucus everywhere. And, and, but, he, but he's weeping. I was like, dude, tell me, what's up? When he was young, all throughout his childhood, he was molested by a male family member over and over and over again. And here he is now, a grown man, and cannot have healthy, normal, functional relationships. Clearly, no one could. I can't help but think at that moment that Jesus has the same reaction, thinking it was never supposed to be this way. You were never supposed to have to go through this. But here we are. First marriage failed. Couldn't have a healthy sexual relationship with his wife. Understandable. And he kept thinking, this is an area that I'm just going to have there my rest of my life. It's going to be a dead, nasty, disgusting area that I don't want anybody to know. Because you see, the enemy had tricked him into thinking that he had taken part in it. And that it was a part of a problem that would always be there. And that a piece of him was dead inside and he'd have to deal with it. But one day, at the resurrection, maybe he could be healed. But that's a lie from the enemy. Jesus came here so that we can have heaven on earth. So that we can have healing now. You see, you got to understand this. 
The pinnacle of the power of God is not to make bad people good. Oh, he can do that. He can forgive your sin, but he can do so much more. The pinnacle of the power of God is to take spots in your life that you thought were dead and make them alive again. The pinnacle of the power of God can be what man, you or someone else, did to mess everything up, and he can redeem it and use it for his glory and his kingdom. That's the pinnacle of the power of God, and that's what we're celebrating. Three years later, oh, he's been serving faithfully in the student ministry. Guess what he does now as his ministry, not his job, his ministry. Works at a nonprofit for men who have gone through that in their childhood, saying, no, 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 no. These used to be wounds, but now they're scars and they're healed because of Jesus. And rather than hide them, I'm going to show them to you to show that there is hope and healing found in one person and one person alone. And he is the Messiah and his name is Jesus. That's the pinnacle of the power of God. So she's talking Jesus out of coming into that area that he needs to heal. Verse 41. So he took away, they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. Did you hear that? He's not praying because he knows that God needs to be reminded of this. He says, I'm doing this for the benefit of the crowd that's around. Here's why. We're almost done. Here's why. Because in 30 days, he needs everyone in Jerusalem. And the disciples and the people around the area, when they start hearing whispers that Jesus has rose from the grave, he needs them to know, I've already exhibited that I have the power over the grave. You've seen it once, but you're about to see it again and even more glorious. Most theologians say this is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever did because this is why you and I can have hope in a hopeless situation. Because if we never had Resurrection Sunday, Good Friday would have been the death of a liar. And you and I would have no hope. Verse 43. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips with linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Echoes of the prophet Ezekiel thousands and thousands of years earlier when he said, oh, my people, I will open your graves and have you rise from them. If you're here on Easter Sunday and you're just here because you told a family member you'd be here, I get it. But God will do whatever he can just to get you in the building to have one moment with you. What we're going to do in just a minute is the worship team's going to come back up here and you're going to take that black sheet of paper that you got. And you're going to find a pencil that's somewhere around you. And, and we get a powerful moment. And this is only if you feel comfortable. But I want you to write down whatever that is that's keeping you from an all-in life with God. Because whatever is in the way of you and God, huh, you put it there. And God's begging you to give it to him. Begging you. 
I don't know what kind of God could create a human and then send that person to hell. Oh, God did everything he could to prevent you from going to hell, even sending his son to die for you. So we just wrapped up this three-week series called Church Hurt. You can go back and watch it. And it's people in the church that have been unkind to you, have wronged you in some way. You can go back and watch them, or you can take my grandma's word for them. They're fantastic. But if you were in that series and there was something, I asked you to consider writing this down. Some of you, it's a diagnosis. Some of you, it's your pride. Some of you, it's a pain or a wound that you've been carrying. For some of you, it's a prayer request that you've given up and you stayed home at. Let me tell you what mine is. Are you ready? In my mind, I have this path that my career has to take. And it has to, like, keep climbing the corporate ladder. Have a big enough congregation, a nice enough car. It's just me being real. In the first service, I wrote that down. My life, my pride, my profession, all of these prideful things that I have. God, I give it all to you. And if I'm done today and you put me on this earth to, to minister to one person, let that be good enough. Make my heart in a spot where that will be good enough. That's what I wrote down. I'm going to write it again. And what we're going to do is as they're playing, I'm going to ask you to do something super courageous. I'm going to ask you to come up and you can either lay it down here at the cross or we've got nails and you can literally put it on the nail. That's the heart of God. He will always pursue imperfect people. So what are you going to write down? Let me pray. And then we'll go into a time of singing and giving thanks to God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray for each man, woman, and child within the sound of my voice, God. Lord, I thank you that your word never returns void. I hope that people don't leave here impressed by me. I hope people leave healed by you. Lord, I thank you that you're changing the world and you let us get to be a part of it, God. I pray for, for the people in this room that had been wronged when they were little. Statistics say there's more than we would believe in this room. I pray they would have the courage to write that down on this piece of paper and give it to you and let you be God. Let you go to the place that is grotesque, that is decaying, that has a putrid smell. And they would give it to you, God. Lord, I love you, I praise you, and I would do anything for you. If God spoke to you in any way during the course of this message, we want to hear about it. Reach out to us at centerpointtn.com. You can partner with us. You can send us a message. We'd love to connect with you.